Wildwood Community Church exists to glorify God by connecting people to Christ, His worship, His community, and His mission. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. I love Easter Sunday. It's a, it's a wonderful day. But one of the things that I think is really special about Easter is it reminds us of this incredibly precious truth. And that truth is this. What lies behind Christianity is more than an ethic. It's an event. Easter reminds us that what lies behind Christianity is more than an ethic. It's an event. Certainly, there are ethics in Christianity. There are things that we're to do. There's a philosophy of life. There is teachings of Jesus. But what lies behind Christianity is more than just a philosophy. There is a historical event where Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the grave. And the reality of that event helps us understand so much more of God. We don't just get a note that tells us that there is no greater love than that someone would lay down his life for his friend. We don't just get that in a letter. We get it in a letter. It's in the scripture. But you know what else we get? We get Jesus actually coming to the earth. We get Jesus actually laying down his life on the cross for our forgiveness. We get Jesus actually raising from the dead to demonstrate for us the power of God. Friends, what lies behind Christianity is more than just an ethic. It's an event. And we remember that when we gather today and we look at the events of Resurrection Sunday. Now, it's not just me who says that. It's actually in our scripture it says that. The Apostle Paul, writing in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, in verse 14, says this. It says, if Christ has not been raised then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. In other words, if Jesus is not resurrected, friends, then what are we doing here? But if Jesus is resurrected, then we have a real hope anchored in real history by a real God who is able to forgive our real sins. Not only does Paul say that in 1 Corinthians, but he also says in the book of Romans and in chapter 8 and verse 11, he talks about how the resurrection impacts our ethics. He says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The resurrection, friends, reminds us of the life that God is able to give to us in Christ, a transformative life, a resurrected life. And so we gather here today on this Easter Sunday to remember the resurrection. And this is not just an event that is historical, though it is, but it's also an event that has very real impact and consequence for you and for me. It was on Easter Sunday 27 years ago that I trusted in Christ as my Savior. And friends, as we gather today, it's my prayer that none of us walk out of this room having merely reflected on a historical reality, but also understanding its significance for our lives. So we're going to look at the resurrection of Jesus today, and our text that will guide us there is going to be the Gospel of John, chapter 21, verses 1 through 19. I want to read those verses for us, and then I'll place it in some context as we make a couple of observations for our lives today. John 21, beginning in verse 1, says this, 
It says, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, the two others of his disciples, they were all together. And Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. And they went out and they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had stripped to work, and he threw himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out onto the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and he hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come, have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came, and he took the bread, and he gave it to them, and so with the fish. Now, this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. And when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. And Jesus said a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter said to him again, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now Peter was grieved because he had said a third time, do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, When you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Now what we have in John 21 are the events around the Sea of Galilee where Jesus is interacting with Peter and a few of the other disciples. And as we look at this event and we look at it in context with the rest of the Gospel of John, we see two things that that really uh, I want us to see today. The first thing is this, that the resurrection is real, that the resurrection is real, and it's something that Peter was absolutely convinced of. Now, it's interesting, Peter was, first of all, before you can have a resurrection, you have to have a death. And Peter was convinced of Jesus' death. We see this as Peter followed closely behind the mob as they took Jesus to his trial and ultimately to his crucifixion. Peter was close enough to see Jesus in his trial. He was close enough to deny Jesus three times, then make eye contact with the Savior. Peter had seen Jesus in the moments leading up to his crucifixion, and crucifixion was a capital punishment, and the Romans never failed. 
So Peter, walking with Jesus up to the point of his crucifixion, was absolutely convinced of Jesus' death. But one of the other things that stands out as we look at John's gospel is that Peter and the disciples were also absolutely convinced of his resurrection. They knew he had died, but they also were convinced that he was resurrected from the grave. And we see that because of the experiences recorded for us in John chapter 20. Remember at the end of 21 in the verses we just read, it said, now this was the third time that Jesus had appeared to them. It wasn't the first time on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus had had some experience with the disciples before that had convinced them of the reality of his resurrection. Think about some of the things that happened there. Peter, in chapter 20, verses 1 through 10, runs to the tomb and looks inside upon hearing the report that the body is missing and sees that there is no body inside. John writes this, and he says that he's in a foot race with with Peter. How do we know the Bible is true? Because no man would ever willingly acknowledge in a book that would be preserved for thousands of years that he got beat in a foot race. And yet John, who's writing this, says that Peter beat him to the tomb. And Peter gets to the tomb, and he looks inside, and he doesn't see a body. Peter is becoming convinced that what Jesus said would happen would happen, that Jesus indeed was resurrected from the grave. The tomb was empty. But more than just an empty tomb, Peter gets to see Jesus in his resurrected body. Down in verse 19 through 23 of chapter 20, we have Jesus walking through a closed door and hanging out with the disciples, Peter included. They got to have a conversation. They got to see him. And so what they thought might have happened when they saw that the body was missing was now confirmed as Jesus was standing in their midst. But as Jesus interacted with the disciples and Peter there that day, who was missing? Thomas was missing, right? And so Jesus in his grace comes back to visit the disciples plus doubting Thomas and his friends. We see that in 24 on down to verse 29 as Jesus appears to them. Peter is becoming convinced of the resurrection of Jesus. The disciples are convinced not only of his death but also of his resurrection, And it's not just those events, but the gospel accounts let us know that Jesus appeared to many over the 40 days between his resurrection and his ascension into heaven. Over 40 days, Jesus made pains to to be around the disciples a number of different times. We see one of those instances there in John 20, verse 11 through 18, when he appears to Mary Magdalene. But also in Luke 24, he appears to some disciples who are traveling on the road to Emmaus. In Matthew 28, he appears to a group of women, probably including Mary, but maybe some others. And so what we have in the account of the Gospels is the disciples are becoming convinced of Jesus' resurrection, Peter included. Therefore, in chapter 21, when they're on the boat on the Sea of Galilee in Jesus gets their attention, they go, hey, that's Jesus. They had a category for that because they had become convinced of the reality of the resurrection. It was a real thing. It had really happened, and they were convinced of it. Now, this is something that not only was Peter convinced and the other disciples were convinced of, but but actually when you look at history today, history supports a resurrected Jesus, As a matter of fact, all authors who look at history honestly um, from a a, uh, different different perspective, whether they are Christian or non-Christian, would all agree with at least three things. The first thing they would agree is that Jesus really was a person who really died on the cross, who really was buried in a tomb, 
and whose body is really missing. Every historian would have to embrace at least that fact. And not only that, but historians who are honest looking at this, again, Christian, non-Christian alike, would have to say that the disciples were convinced that they had an experience with the risen Jesus, that they had, they had seen him and interacted with him. It's the, the best explanation for what they wrote, what they said, the message they carried to the ends of the earth. Again, honest historians, Christian, non-Christian alike, would agree that Jesus lived, he died, he was buried, and, he was resur- and his body was missing, but they also would believe that the disciples believed they interacted with an interact, uh, a resurrected Jesus. And a third truth that historians have to embrace is that Christianity grew. It grew from just a few people in Palestine to a worldwide movement, and at the center of Christianity was the proclamation of this event of the resurrection. Historians look at the facts and they have to support these three things. Now, if if those things are all verified in history, then what is the best explanation of what happened with Jesus and what the disciples experienced? Well, there's really only three options for what the disciples experienced. One option is that the disciples were deceived. They were deceived. Somehow, they, they thought they had seen a resurrected Jesus, but they hadn't. Maybe they had, they had hallucinated something. Maybe they, they had some bad food or had a weird dream. They believed they saw him, but maybe they were just deceived. Maybe Jesus hadn't really died. Maybe he had just passed out on the cross and was buried and then walked out of the tomb on his own power, not as a resurrection, but just as a survivor. Maybe they were deceived in some way. But friends, it doesn't make sense to think that these disciples were deceived It doesn't support the story because, again, we've seen already just in the verses we've looked at, Jesus didn't just appear to one person. He appeared to many, and he didn't just appear one time. He appeared over 40 days. It's not like one person just wandered into the woods and got a couple of tablets. This is Jesus over 40 days revealing the authenticity of his resurrected life. They weren't deceived. And when you think about, did Jesus just pass out on the cross? I mean, think about how wild that would be. After being beaten mercilessly, somehow he's able to push aside this giant stone in his own power and get past a Roman guard who is going to die if he escapes. And in his beaten state, shows up to the disciples and they somehow think that he's resurrected, looking like that, acting like that, within an inch of his life? No, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense that they were deceived, though that is a theory that is thrown. A second idea is not that they were deceived, but that they were deceivers, that the disciples came up with a story that they wanted to tell. They, they got together in, in a room after the crucifixion of Jesus and said, you know what, let's, let's come up with a story that will make our name great. Let's talk about a resurrected Jesus. Let's write a book. Better yet, let's write 27 books that'll be international bestsellers. And let's spread it all over the world, and this is going to be really good for us. Some think that maybe the disciples were deceivers, but think about how wild that would be. How profitable was it for the disciples to call on the name of Christ? They died for this belief. Surely one of them would have cracked under torture and persecution and death, and yet they all remain true. Why? Because the resurrection is real. The only other option, if if they're not deceived, if they're not deceivers, the only other option is what? They're witnesses to a real event. 
the reality of the resurrection. Now, friends, as we gather here today, my guess is that most of you in this room have accepted at least as some plausible fact that Jesus indeed is resurrected. There was a person, he did live, he did die, and he was resurrected. Most in this room would embrace that fact. Maybe not all, but, but most. But here's the thing. Though we understand it as a historical reality, how many of us have stopped and thought about its significance for our lives? Have stopped to realize that his resurrection means something for me. Have stopped to think that, that our hope is found in his resurrection. Friends, that's what we need to see now. We need to talk about how his resurrection is my hope. Now, we see this by looking again at the life of Peter. We, we've already demonstrated that Peter was absolutely convinced that Jesus was resurrected. He was convinced of it. It was a historical reality. However, did Peter think that that event of the resurrection of Jesus had anything to do with him? The answer apparently is no. Peter was ecstatic at the thought that Jesus was resurrected. He was excited to see his friend. He would hop out of a boat and swim yards to go visit him. And yet, Peter at some level was experiencing some despair. And how do we know that? Where do we see that in the passage? We see that in chapter 21 and verse 3. What's Peter doing? Peter says, I'm going fishing. I'm going fishing. Now, we might think, hey, he's just blowing off some steam. He's just going out with the buddies, finding his favorite old fishing hole on the Sea of Galilee. But those of us who have studied Peter's life a little more have a different theory, right? And that is that Peter felt like his time serving Christ as a disciple was over. Because of Peter's failure in denying Christ three times, Peter feels like though Jesus is resurrected, his hope is still dead. Peter's hope is still dead. And so he goes back to Galilee to fish, not just to kill some time, not just to have time with friends, but to make a living. That's what he did before Christ. He goes back to fish. Now, let me ask you this. Again, most of us in this room probably believe, at least at some level, in a resurrected Jesus. But in the midst of our lives, do we struggle? Do you and I struggle with this thought that though the resurrection is real, um, that it has a personal application for us? Has our hope begun to die? I mean, think about it. Some in this room, you're here today and you're thinking, you know what, my hope is dead because of what I have done. Peter denied Christ three times. And you're thinking, you know what, what I have done is unforgivable. I had an inappropriate relationship with someone that wasn't my spouse. I went too far on a date just this weekend, on Easter weekend of all weekends. I, I viewed what I shouldn't view. I've, I've sinned in, er, in areas, I've taken things that aren't mine. We walk in today feeling that our hope is dead because of our sin. Others of us in this room have walked in here today feeling that our hope is dead, not because of a sin that we've committed, but because our life has just fallen apart. In the last year, for, for some in this room, I know your life has fallen apart. In the last five years, it may have fallen apart. You know, for Peter, he, for three years, he had followed Christ, and now this, or this crucifixion thing had happened, and he felt like his life was totally out of sorts. You might be experiencing some of that today. You may have had a year where your spouse dies or a child dies. 
You may have been in a season of life where you've, you've lost your job or where you've lost your friends and you feel like your hope is dead. You walk in here today and yes, there's a resurrection, but I don't know what that means for me. Friends, if you walked in here today feeling like that, you have good company in the apostle Peter. He went back fishing. And yet, what does Jesus do? He pursues him, right? Jesus chases him down. First thing Jesus does is he just shows up. He stands on the shore in the Sea of Galilee, and he says, hey, guys, it's me. I think that that demonstrates God's love for Peter. He goes out of his way to go approach him, to contact him, to get some one-on-one time with him, to let him know that His resurrection doesn't just provide new life for Christ, but it provides new life for Peter as well. Not only does he show up, but he also demonstrates his authority. What does Jesus do? He he, he demonstrates the reality of of his power through fish. Not the first time he's done this, but I think this time was was kind of of humorous in a way. Peter is thinking, I'm done with Jesus. What am I going to go do? I'm going to go fish. And yet, what does Peter find when he drops the net in the water? Nothing. He doesn't catch anything. It's almost as if Jesus is saying, hey, Peter, you can't fish anymore. I control the fish. I've got a different plan for you. Jesus shows up. He demonstrates his authority. He reminds him of his identity. And not only that, but he cares for them. He invites them on shore. He provides them breakfast. And then he takes Peter for a walk. And in this beautiful passage, he reinstates him, not as a second-class disciple, but as somebody with authority and power and opportunity in ministry ahead. Friends, Peter goes from the bottom of the bottom to somebody who is restored, somebody who has hope, somebody who has come to recognize that the resurrection does not just provide new life to Christ, but it provides new life to us as well as we trust in him. Friends, if you're here today and your hope is dead or your hope is dying, know that there is hope for you in the life of Christ. There's hope for you in the life of Christ. Jesus came to this earth. He came close. He he came to our shores. And he came to demonstrate his love for us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us so that we might understand who God is. That's what John, the way John begins his gospel. Jesus came close to us so that we would know him. And not only did he come close to us that we might know him, but he wants to provide for us at our area of greatest need. Because of our sin, we would have no hope if it depended solely on us. But because of his grace, Jesus goes to the cross and dies on the cross to pay the full penalty that our sins deserve so that sinners like Peter and sinners like Mark and sinners like every one of us in this room might have our sins forgiven, might be reconciled to God forever and might have a new hope for a new life in him. You see, the the resurrection of Jesus is not just a historical fact. It is a historical fact, but it's a historical fact that has contemporary significance for you and I. Are we finding our hope in him? 
If you're here today and you have never placed your faith and trust in Christ, know that I believe that you're here today because God has sent Jesus to stand on the shore and invite you to come and have a meal with him. Jesus died for your sins, not just mine. Jesus wants his resurrection to be your hope, not just his. And by trusting and embracing what Jesus has done for us, as Peter did, as, as I did 27 years ago on Easter Sunday, as many in this room have done, we have the opportunity to pass from death to life, to experience a spiritual resurrection with the hope and the promise of one day being in the presence of God forever. And that's offered to you. It's offered to me. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, know that on this Easter Sunday, the resurrection is an event, but it's not just an event. It's an event that God has a message for you in. But there are also many of us who are here today who have trusted Christ long ago, and yet our hope is waning. And here's what the resurrection reminds us of as well. It reminds us that we have a future, that we have a hope. It reminds us that though we experience challenges in our world today and challenges in our life today, that tomorrow is always better in Christ. Now, I don't mean just tomorrow like April 17th. I mean, tax days in two days. Why would I ever say such a thing? Um, What I mean is that if we know Christ, then after death is actually better than this life. This, this life will have ebbs and flows, ups and downs, family gain, family lost, friends gain, friends lost, career that moves up, careers that move down. But if we know Christ, then we have an eternity that is secure on the other side of the grave that will go on and on and on and on and on and never fail. Because of that, because of the resurrection, because of its application to us, we are a people of eternal hope. As we gather today to worship, friends, We gather around our resurrected Jesus. And his resurrection is our hope as well. Would you stand? On the screen behind me, we have just a simple phrase. And I want us, if, if this is the expression of your heart, I want us just to say this phrase together a couple of times. His resurrection is my hope. His resurrection is my hope. Father, thank you. Thank you for the hope that you have given us in Christ. Thank you that the resurrection is a reality that is in history so that we can know about it and we can look at it in, in the world and in, in every culture and every tribe and every tongue and every nation. There, there's, a, there's a relevance to the gospel as a historical event that verifies the identity of Jesus. But Father, thank you also that this resurrection did not provide life for Jesus alone, but it provides life for us as well. And Father, I pray that all of us would lean in and follow you and depend upon Jesus for our eternity, that his resurrection would be our hope as well. We pray these things in Jesus' name.